Welcome to the Legal Toolkit, bringing you the latest legal trends and business initiatives to help you manage your law firm. Here are your hosts, experienced lawyers, writers, and entrepreneurs, Heidi Alexander and Jared Correa. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Legal Toolkit here on the Legal Talk Network. I'm your host, Heidi Alexander. I'm also a law practice advisor with Massachusetts LOMAP. LOMAP provides free and confidential law practice management consulting services to Massachusetts attorneys. For more information on LOMAP's offerings, visit our website at masslomap.org. Here on the Legal Toolkit, my co-host Jared Correa and I provide you with a new tool each month to add to your legal toolkit so that your practices will become more and more like best practices. This episode of the Legal Toolkit is no different. Now, while I await patiently for Universal to resurrect a version of Battlestar Galactica, yes, Mashable did report today that it is indeed in the works, we'll pass the time by talking about email marketing for attorneys. Joining me now is Heather Jackson. Heather is the Regional Development Director for Constant Contact, a popular online marketing company known for its email marketing platform and based here in Massachusetts. Heather has a long history in the sales and marketing industry, having founded and operated a PR firm before joining Constant Contact. She regularly conducts outreach to small businesses and provides education surrounding email and online relationship marketing. She will be presenting this year at LOMAP's New England Supermarketing Conference held in Boston at Suffolk University Law School on June 5th. More info is available at our website, again, at masslomap.org. Thanks for joining me today, Heather. Thrilled to be here, Heidi. Great. So let's start off with an important foundational question. With all the buzz surrounding social media, is email marketing even still relevant for small businesses? That's a great question, Heidi, and I get that frequently. And typically, as you said, there's a lot of buzz surrounding social media, and people feel pressured to be on social media platforms. However, email marketing is still one of the most relevant and most efficient ways for businesses and legal practices to reach their customers, to stay top of mind, and to make it easy for people to refer them. And typically when I get that question, I give a lot of educational seminars uh, to small businesses. People ask me that question, and I'll ask right there and then, how many people have checked their email today? And without a doubt, I don't care if the seminar started at 7.30 in the morning, everyone in the room has raised their hand. And at the same time, I'll ask how many people are checking their email right now. And undoubtedly, there are a few people that will raise their hand there. So email is still a very important way that people in the workplace communicate. And it certainly um, is relevant and proven to be effective and efficient in terms of ROI for helping people market their businesses. Great. All good points. So we've now given our listeners a reason to listen to us for the next 30 minutes. Let's talk about how to get started with email marketing. Now, of course, you need a list of subscribers. How do you suggest attorneys get started building their list of subscribers? And then once it's built, how do they go about increasing subscribership over time? So an important thing to understand about email marketing is that It has to be, by law, and I'm sure lawyers appreciate abiding by the law, uh, it has to be permission-based. So you need permission 
from your customers and contacts to add them to your email outreach lists. So to get that subscriber list started, and I will say your subscriber list is always going to be a work in progress. You're always going to be adding people. You're going to be changing people's contact info. You're going to be deleting people as maybe your services no longer become you know, part of their life or required. But to get it started, you certainly can just start with your list of current customers. And often I recommend that because you sort of have implicit permission to send them an email. And when you use a platform like Constant Contact, there's always a one-click unsubscribe. They make it very easy for people to manage the communications they're getting um, from you and that you're sending out. So you have the ability to start with your own list of customers. If you don't have their email addresses, I suggest that you, the lawyer themselves, the practitioner, or their staff, just get in the habit of asking people for their email addresses. And typically, that's important because you can you know, save a lot of paper by not having to mail things out. That's one benefit. Um, and then also you can let them know, we'd like to add you to our list to provide you with tips, help, advice. You know, you want to be making sure that you are telling people you're going to give them something in exchange for them giving you their email address. So there's no list that's too small. I work with many customers that actually have you know, less than 75 people on their list when they start. And I sort of believe in just sort of starting where you are and moving forward. And then you want to increase that subscribership in a couple different ways. And you basically want to let people sign up to receive your newsletter or your 10 tips of the month information through your website. You want to make sure you have a sign-up form on your website. You want to make sure that if you're using other social media platforms like Facebook or if you have a LinkedIn company page that you make it easy for people to sign up for your email newsletter from there through a hyperlink. You can put a hyperlink to sign up in your email signature. And then, of course, uh, as I mentioned, you want to make sure that people that are interacting one-on-one are gathering that information. Great. So we as attorneys, it's particularly important for us in terms of advertising and solicitation. We have uh, certain rules that apply. So I'd suggest that anyone doing any type of advertising and marketing take a look at rules 7.2 and 7.3. One idea that uh, Heather referred to was asking for an email address up front. So that would be something you could do, let's say, on an intake form. That's one idea. Now, you did talk about the size of your list just a bit. Now, is there a sweet spot that you could say in terms of the number of subscribers that a solo or small firm law firm should aim to reach? That number is going to vary completely on the type of practice that a um, firm has. And I can tell you without a doubt that regardless of the type of business or practice that you have, that quality is far more important than quantity. There is no set number that you have to have to start email marketing or to make it effective. And by the same token, just because you have a massive list of past you know, contacts and customers, if what you're putting out to them is not of value or interest to them as the recipients, your email marketing is not going to be effective. So... There's absolutely not a minimum number. As I said, I have a customer that has only 50 people on his list, and yet every time he sends out an email, he either gets referrals or gets immediate business or takes another step in developing a relationship and gets positive feedback. So, you know, anywhere from 50 up to 
by the thousands. Your list might be as long as, however, it's really the quality. You're much better off having 100 people that want to hear from you on a smaller list than you are having a list of 1,000 where only 50 want to hear from you. So it's really about the quality and about the relationship that you're going to build with people through your email marketing. Mm -hmm, Makes sense. Let's talk about this idea of list segmentation. How does that work and how can attorneys best utilize it? Great question. So list segmentation is the concept of taking your contacts and putting them into different buckets per se and on different lists. And the idea is that you really want to make sure that what you put into your newsletter is of value to the recipient. Not necessarily just promoting your practices or your services, but providing them with something that they can use to run their business better, live their life better, uh, make things easier for them. So you might have different segments of clients or contacts that would want to hear different messaging. The segmentation could be based on the type of service they use you for. So maybe if it's estates and trusts, those people might go on a certain list because you would send them different tips and advice versus somebody that contracts you to do real estate related work or that contracts you to do corporate law. So you might have different segments based on the type of services that you provide because that's going to affect the type of information they're interested in. By the same token, you might have segmentation based on geography. You might have segmentation based on how frequently a customer uses you, right? If they've used you once or if they consistently come back and they're using you for everything because you might want to recognize in your email marketing, people that are extremely loyal or people that have referred you business. That could be a separate segment because you might be sending them different messaging. So the segmentation helps the business, um, the lawyer, identify certain groups and by identifying them and separating them, then they can make sure that the information sent and the tips and the advice sent is relevant to what that segment of their list would want to receive or would find valuable. I think that's very important for attorneys. I mean, they might have one list for referrals and they might have one list for their current clients, their former clients, and then as you've described. We've got to take a quick break, but when we return, we'll talk more about best practices for email marketing. Now, this is normally the space in our show when we offer words from our sponsors. This potentially represents a unique opportunity for you. Legal Toolkit is seeking sponsors. You can hear your advertisement right here. What more could you ask for? If you're interested, contact the team at Legal Talk Network by email at info at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on their website at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We're back for the second half of our program with Heather Jackson, Regional Development Director for the online marketing provider, Constant Contact. Let's talk about spam. Spam email, that is, not the oh-so-delicious canned meat. So we're constantly bombarded by a plethora of emails. How do you go about developing a mass email that people will actually read and receive rather than get caught in a spam filter? 
Heidi, that's a question I get day in, day out. And as much as I like that delicious canned meat, I will talk about spam email and how to avoid it. So there's a couple different things to think about. The first is that spam is flagged not only or recognized not only by internet service providers, which would be Comcast or Verizon, and it's recognized not only by email programs, which would be Gmail, Outlook, Hotmail, etc., but more importantly, the end user, the recipient, is the person who really decides if something is spam or not. It could end up in their inbox, but if it is not valuable and if it just is an intrusion on their time and on their goings about of their day, they're going to call that spam. So spam is you know, flagged in a lot of ways from your computer out through the internet, through email programs and, and to the end user, but really it's the end user that has the final say in what spam. So to ensure that you have, you know, and our goal with email marketing is to provide the maximum value with the least intrusion. So to make sure that you're sending out emails that people will read and that they'll receive, you want to start, you have three components. One is going to be whom it's from. The second is going to be your subject line. And the third is going to be the content. So let's start with whom it's from. You want to make sure that that from is a business or a person that the recipient is going to recognize. Typically, it's going to be the business, as most people recognize that. But if you're a sole practitioner and more of your contacts would recognize it being from you, then you want to put your name in there. So you want to make sure it's recognized. Most people will probably open an email from a person before a business. So if you can incorporate the two, that's a great idea. So it could be from Heidi Alexander on behalf of Lomap, as an example. So you want to start with the from, because from is going to determine somebody gets to the subject line. And then when we get to the subject line, you basically have two seconds to grab someone's attention, and they're going to read the first two words to determine if they're going to read the rest of the subject line. So you think about how chopped up our lives are these days and how we get these little bits of information, right? And our attention span is decreased for sure. So You want to make sure that your subject line is something that's really going to grab someone in. Gone are the days of April newsletter, April update, April news. You want to make sure that you are actually grabbing someone so that they open that email right now. Because all of us, no matter how we think about it, we look at an email and we decide whether to open it now, later, or never. The best way to get something ready is to have it open now. Because often, though, we all mean to come back to those later emails. We don't right? And never, bang, you're just out the window. The subject line, what I could tell people, and think about it this way, it could be an example of, I encourage people to go look at magazines at supermarkets or at the CVS or the drugstore. They have been practicing it for over 100 years. They practice having those teasers on the cover of the magazines that get you to open the magazine and read it, right? And no matter what the industry is, They have great taglines. It's 10 apps you can't live without for your business. Five new features for your iPhone that you need. Three things to make your garden gorgeous, right? We all fall for it. I fall for it every time. It's killer abs in 10 minutes, right? So we open those things up because they're of interest. So make sure that you're using some sort of, oftentimes numbers are great. So it could be three tips to ensure your will is created properly. Five things that will make a real estate transaction go bad. 
the worst thing that happens in a divorce agreement, etc. I'm trying to throw out some legal examples. So it would be things that draw the user in that they can digest quickly um, that are going to be appealing. And oftentimes one trick I've learned in my experience is that oftentimes people get stuck on that subject line. And they sit there and they say, okay, I want to get out of this marketing piece. They get the from and they're stuck on the subject line and 15 minutes go by and they haven't come up with something good and 20 minutes go by and they want to bang their head against a wall and they're frustrated with the whole experience and they say, forget this, I'm done. Oftentimes it's easier to create the email and start with the easy part. The easy part is going to be, you know, your contact info and maybe a uh, special on a service or some event that you're promoting. Then you might have a piece of advice, right? People love to get tips and advice. From that, oftentimes something will spring out that becomes a great subject line. Oh, I was working with a personal organizer as an example. And the theme of her newsletter was organizing in the kitchen. So we weren't going to have a subject line that just said kitchen organizing because that's not exactly enticing. But she had a little story about this customer and why they got to organize in the kitchen. It had to do with the fact that Kitty Cat ran across the counter, ran through all these birthday cupcakes and messed up the party. And the woman finally said, I have to reorganize my kitchen to make things work better. So the subject line turned out to be, what do kitty cats and cupcakes have in common? So it can be something just a little offbeat even that draws you in. So I encourage people to really make sure they have a good subject line. And then, as you said, to make sure they read and receive consistently, you want to have content in that email that is valuable to the end user. So I like to tell people to think about like what frame of mind or what things are people concerned about um, in their daily life when they're using your services that you could provide them with information about. So take the example of somebody getting divorced. They're hiring a lawyer to help them with that process. You don't want to just send an email that says, you know, we have great divorce services or you want to reassure them, sure, we'll help you get through this process easily. But why not send out tips and advice for five things to make sure you do as a single parent or three things to look out for when you're dividing up assets or the two most common mistakes made during this process. So you want to think about what else are people concerned about in that time of life that they're hiring the lawyer for whatever service it might be. So make sure the content is relevant to something they need to live their life a little better today. And it's not just a pitch for your services and a description of your services. Excellent, excellent tips and really so simple. The idea of using the from field in terms of whether it's a business or a person, so, so simple. So what are some of the biggest mistakes small businesses make with email marketing? The biggest mistake is typically falling into that practice of pitching their own product or their own services. I understand and I feel, you know, we all need people to hire us to help our businesses grow. But nobody wants to just hear you say, hire me, hire me, hire me, right? So the biggest mistake people make is they don't have content that's relevant. So we just touched on that. The other mistakes people make are not being consistent with what they say they're going to do. So for instance, when you are asking somebody for an email address to say, hey, I'd like to put you on my you know, monthly newsletter that has tips and advice. If you say monthly, you need to send it out monthly. If you say, 
I'm going to put you on a separate interest list, then you need to do that. So you just want to make sure that you are fulfilling what you say you're doing. And just sort of as an aside, I know that it probably could be challenging to come up with great content for legal services. I have a, you know, a ton of ideas in the back of my head, but I'm sure some people might find it challenging. You need to be sending out an email once a month. So another mistake people make is they're trying to go for once a quarter or once every six months. And unfortunately, that might have worked five years ago, but now you're just getting lost in the fray. And remember that one thing we want to do is make sure we just stay top of mind so that for those people who don't need to hire a lawyer right now, that when the time comes, that that lawyer has established themselves as a resource, as an expert in an area, and they do that through the sharing of content, the sharing of ideas, the sharing of articles, the sharing of tips and advice. You want to make sure that you're able to stay top of mind. And if you're not doing it at least once a month, I think that can be challenging. That being said, I know you know, it's kind of like that gym membership. You get fired up, you go three months in a row, everything's great, and then things get really busy. A lawyer's got to go to trial. Things take a, a back seat. That's fine. I mean, you can only do what you can, but I do recommend you try to have a calendar moving forward that enables you to send something out once a month. And if you have the content ahead of time, that's a lot easier. And then finally, the other mistake people make that I see a lot now is trying to jam too much into an email newsletter. One big benefit of uh, our shortened attention span is that to communicate, to stay top of mind, you just have to have one, one image, one video, one piece of advice and be focused about it. And that is just as effective as having, you know, what you used to think of as an old sort of e-zine that had, you know, five articles and all sorts of stuff in it. You can just have one piece to focus on and then a, um, you know, make it easy to contact you for more questions or to learn more about your services. So a mistake is trying to do too much and then getting frustrated with the process. So you can keep it short, keep it focused, make sure you have good content for the end user and then be consistent. That's great. I couldn't agree with you more. Just so folks know, we have actually written extensively on marketing plans and platforms. And so something like an email marketing newsletter that you're going to send every month, that should be included in your marketing plan. So if you take a look at our blog, we've also included a draft uh, template for a marketing platform that could be helpful. Now, Heather, you talked about sending an email newsletter once a month. Now, are there certain times of days or days of the week that are more advantageous to be sending that newsletter? Heidi, I wish I could tell you that Thursday at 2.46 is the best time for any law practice to send an email out. However, I can't do that. When it comes to best practices for sending emails, I can give you a few tips. With regard to how often to send them, as we said, sort of once every month or, you know, six weeks at worst is what you want to shoot for. That could change depending upon what the nature of the email is. So, for instance, um, if you were having an event, you certainly would be promoting that event, you know, six weeks out, a month out, and then you'd send a reminder two weeks and you'd send a reminder a week and then the night before. Or if it's pertaining to a specific change in the law, perhaps you have a lot of customers that have you know, clients that are going to be affected by a change in immigration law. And that law is going to go into effect on a certain date. That's certainly something you might, the frequency of your emails might change as that becomes closer. However, typically, when to send, what time of the day, which days of the week, it used to be that, you know, Tuesday through Thursday, 10 to 4 was the best time. That had to do with 
people's attention as well as people being sort of tied to their computers to be able to receive their emails. But mobile has changed that so dramatically because over 50% of people that have mobile phones check email on their mobile. It's the number one activity used on mobile phones is, is checking their email. So I really think about it now in terms of when is the best time for you to reach your target audience and even more specifically, when is the time not to send and when is the worst time? So some of that is generic, right? If we're having a big nor'easter and everyone's, you know, jamming out of their offices to get home before the snow comes, that's not a good time to send an email. However, you want to think about too, okay, who is my target audience? If it is, you know, moms of kids age 5 to 14, you don't want to send an email out any day of the week between 5 and 7 p.m. That being said, a lot of people now are on their tablets, are on their mobile, you know, are checking things out while they're also watching TV or while they're at home at night. So one great thing about using an email service provider like a Constant Contact is that you can test. And what I recommend people do is take an email. You could segment your total list into three different groups. You can send that email to each of those groups on three different days. So you could take Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You could figure out what day gets the best open rate. And then from there, you say, okay, let's say Wednesday got the best open rate. You might, the next newsletter out, you might, again, have those three separated groups. You take your email and you send it out at nine, noon, and four. And you could see what time got the best open rate and go from there. So one, because you, you have back-end reports that show you that information. So it's kind of like, market research that you get to do that's just free as part of your accountant program. So I recommend people test. I could give you a couple other examples just to help people think outside the box. I was working with a uh, cruise agency. 80% of the decisions made on what cruise line to take and where to go were made by women. And this woman had typically gotten the best response rate on a Tuesday. But as the woman who owned the business was sitting on her couch watching the Patriots play with her tablet open, she thought, maybe I'll try a Sunday. So she sent out an email this fall on a Sunday at 2 and had the highest open rate she's ever had. That Sunday at 2 is not going to work in July. So it was just sort of thinking about, okay, where is her target audience and what are they doing and when is their mind span open? So I, I encourage you to test it encourage people to test, but I also encourage them to think about when is the best time to reach their user based on the type of content and based on the type of customer they are. Now, you mentioned mobile a few times, and we know that mobile is hot. So how do you optimize emails for mobile viewing? It's something like 416 billion people in the world have a mobile phone and only 402 billion have a toothbrush. Mm -hmm. um, it's always a statistic that gets a little, <laughs> a little chuckled. So you cannot ignore mobile, right? And now with almost everyone having even smartphones, like you said, they're checking, checking their emails, they're checking Facebook, they're checking these things before they even get out of bed. So the key to optimizing emails for mobile is to, and it plays right into what we talked about earlier, making them short and focused on one specific you know, topic, people aren't going to scroll through a big, giant, long email. A really important thing to do is to try to use images and to try to use video if you can. So an image, you know, and for attorneys, it's not like they're going to take a picture of their, you know, a pen and a contract, right? But you can find images online and in your own sort of web surfing, I suppose, that 
maybe strike a chord or relate to your business. You know, a great one is sort of like 4th of July time. You take a picture of your favorite flag and you put it out there and you say, you know, here's what is important to me about the 4th of July. And you could talk about your business. So to make sure you're using images, but make sure you're using them right. And by that, I mean, you need to know that they're going to show up right on a mobile phone. So one important thing to do with an email service provider, such as Constant Contact, is to send yourself a test email and see how it looks on your mobile phone. And then also, I encourage people to choose the single column format rather than having a left side column or a right side column. Make sure you're using the single column template because those are much easier to read on mobile and much more amenable to that layout and to those types of programs. Great. So you've mentioned constant contact. So I, I've got to ask the question, why use an, a service provider rather than just using Outlook or Gmail or some other email tool to reach your audience? Wow, I could go on for a long time, but here's a couple of key points. Outlook and Gmail are now meant for one-to-one communications. I'm emailing you with a specific question. I'm emailing you an invoice. Um, I'm emailing you one-to-one. Those programs are not built to send email out from one to many, as we think of it, for a variety of reasons. One, you can't really make a professional-looking email. You can't incorporate your brand colors. You can't easily include videos and pictures and things that make it look like the rest of your branding and your marketing. Two, there is a very slim chance that any email, even if you try to use the old, you know, send it to yourself and BCC 20 people or 50 people, the likelihood of that email getting through all those spam filters, including Verizon and Comcast and Gmail and Hotmail and Outlook and your own company's um, firewall is very slim. And that's because if you BCC as few as 20 people, which is not a lot, right? Or if you even email as few as 20 people, that sends up a spam flag, a red flag to Comcast and Verizon, as an example, to most um, internet service providers. So the chances of it getting through are very slim. You're not going to know what got through and what didn't. So you have no idea if those emails are just floating out there, if they ended up in a spam bucket, if they ended up, if they even ended up getting read or not. So you have no real idea if it worked. So from a marketing perspective, you have nothing measurable. Um, You have no response to use to figure out what worked, what didn't. And then I think, you know, and a company like Constant Contact has that backend reporting that shows you not only who opened it, who clicked on which links, but also what emails bounced and what didn't. And, you know, and obviously it looks professional. You could put all sorts of great stuff in there. And then finally, and again, you know, according to the Can Spam Act, you can only send emails to people who have given you permission and you have to have a one-click unsubscribe opt-out option. That is very difficult to implement and manage in an Outlook or Gmail. So, think about those emails. You are communicating one-to-one. You are sending somebody a contract to review. Then you have them on your newsletter list and they say, well, I don't want to get your newsletter. Well, how do you manage, how do you know not to send them another newsletter, but you want to keep that avenue open to be able to send them a contract or to send them an invoice or to send them a one-to-one communication? It's very difficult to manage and, and almost, I think, you know, kind of impossible. Whereas a company like Constant Contact, Somebody could unsubscribe from, they might be on three different lists. They unsubscribe from one, they'll stay on the other, or if they unsubscribe completely, the program itself will not allow you to inadvertently even send them another email. So it really 
helps you maintain best practices, you know, practice good email etiquette, and ultimately keep your customers happy so you can manage them as you should. Well, Heather, you're really appealing to our audience with a citation to a statute. Thanks. It's been great having you on our show, but unfortunately, it looks like we've reached the end of another episode of the Legal Toolkit. Remember, though, you can check out all of our shows anytime you want at LegalTalkNetwork.com. Thanks to Heather Jackson, Regional Development Director for Constant Contact, for taking the time to drop by our virtual studio. Heather, if any of our listeners want to find out more about you and Constant Contact, how would they go about doing so? You can contact me directly. I will spell my email out, although I'm sure you'll have it on the follow-up. My email is hjackson at constantcontact.com. And then I always refer people to our website, constantcontact.com, for any kind of social media, email, online marketing questions. They have an amazing blog section. They have a great learning center and uh, resource center that is non-specific to constant contact. It is just best practices across the board. For instance, if you went into their blog section and you just searched subject lines, there would be five blogs on how to write great subject lines. So I think the resources that Constant Contact has put into helping to educate our customers and to make it easy for them to make use of these tools and do so effectively is pretty impressive. So I always refer people to constantcontact.com and go to the blogs or go to the, the resource center and there's just great content there to help you run your business better. So for a link to Heather's contact info and Constant Contact, you can see the Legal Toolkit show notes on the Legal Talk Network's website. Thanks again, Heather, and thanks to everyone out there for listening. I hope to see many of you out here in Boston or via web for our Super Marketing Conference on June 5th. Again, there's more information at masslomap.org. And while I can't promise you good weather in Boston, I can promise you lots of good marketing advice. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Legal Toolkit, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Heidi and Jared for their next podcast, covering the current business trends for law firms. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.